Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. So by definition, what is a family? It's a family, a group of two or more persons related by birth, marriage, adoption who live together. All our such related persons are considered to be members of a family. And we all have a different worldview of what it means to have a family and to be in a family. Here's how I know. I can look around. I don't even have to do that. I can point out one good commercial, and this is how I know. If someone's like, yeah, I got a good family. You go to Olive Garden, and what is their slogan? When you're here, and you get the soup and the salad and the breadsticks, and everything's nice, and you're like, yeah, this works out. I'm having a good time. This is delicious. It's not the best Italian food because, like, things have changed. But that soup and the salad and breadsticks, y'all, that's my, that's my heart. But, yes. But then you hear other things and slogans of like, we're family. You go to a job interview, and you're sitting there, and they're talking about what the skills are that they're looking for, and then they say this terrible phrase. They say, here, we're like a family. And immediately, what are you going to do? Run. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Why? Because the analogy is accurate for us. But that's because it's unhealthy. It becomes manipulative, and families can act like that. They can be unhealthy. They can be manipulative. They can be toxic. And when workplaces describe that, it's because they want you to be impressed. That analogy is accurate. They're probably like a family there. But that's not what they're looking for, you to see from that. They want you to be impressed. They want you to think things like, we look out for one another. We have these healthy things going on. But because of what we've experienced, we don't feel that. And that's because family issues and struggles have always been around. And let's face it, families can sometimes be unwelcoming, and work can be like that too. Or maybe you're just someone who comes from like a really perfect family who had all of the values laid out, and so you've grown up with no issues and stuff. I really love that for you because I grew up with a lot of dynamics. I come from a great family, but listen, when you have to have a diagram to describe some of the family situation, there was a point in our life where we just said like our family kind of was like a wreath. And that's because we had lots of chaos happen in our family. Uh, When I was younger, waiting for like one of of my little cousins to be born, and my uncle was murdered by the hands of his father-in-law. So that devastated my cousin's mother, and it created this dynamic ripple effect in my family. And it tore my mom's and my mom and her siblings all apart because of what was happening. So this little cousin that I was so excited to meet because I was five years old and could not wait to meet this little one and hold this baby suddenly became not, she wasn't just my cousin. She actually became my sister because my parents took her in because her mother could not handle the consequence of what was happening and also was making some other life choices. So this little baby who's my cousin now becomes my sister, but because of other family dynamics and relationships working out, grandparents trying to step back in, she was taken back out. And so then my My cousin becomes my sister, becomes my cousin again. But then a grandpa adopts her, so now she's my aunt. You're keeping up? Who needs a diagram? (laughs) Family. Family. Family is everything. Yeah, and it can be chaotic. So the beginning of my life looked like cousin, sister, aunt. Then my sister ends up legally taking over and raising my cousin. So cousin, sister, cousin, aunt, niece. We were like, you're your own grandpa. <laughs> that's what we joke about now, but like, that's when I say chaos. And I'd like to be like, well, we're just like the Olive Garden family. It's really fun because my parents instilled in us too that like family was everything. And my parents made some really hard choices. 
take a baby in and then to also choose their family to say, listen, if we can't get this together, you're going to have to take her so we can raise our family and make that really tough choice. Now, thankfully, Berber, cousin, niece, aunt, sister, grandpa, she's still, she's still in our family. She, she, um, we say that my sister is her mom, so usually I say niece. But if she ever walks in and stuff, and I'm like, oh, niece, cousin, sister, that's, that's absolutely true. That's how my life looked entirely growing up because family's everything. Like the Uncle Bills, who's my dad's best friend, been in my life my entire life. Not exactly an uncle, but definitely acts like an uncle. Do you see why it's really easy to get to a place where you're like, family means way different things to everybody. Everybody because of what that looks like. And that's just like the first seven years of my life. That doesn't include anything else that happened with any of that really dramatic situation there. And so that's why I thought like, oh man, how do I even, how do I even talk about my family? Because first up, my parents attend here. They're usually over here somewhere, but the t- today they took my kiddo to volleyball. And then also I can't talk about bad family because guess what? My in-laws are like over here. So I can't talk about that chaos. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that anyways because, well, I have great relationships with them, but it's family. And when you're here, you're family. I also like that Autobot one too, where they redid the Olive Garden commercial and it said, when you're here, you're here. And I was like, that checks out too. That's good. Okay. But talking about our family values, like what are those? To families, they're, they're values that are similar to personal values or work values. They include the entire family, regardless of what your family looks like. Doesn't matter how many parents or how many kids that it may or may not include. Those values that you choose, they inform your family life and how you deal with challenges as a unit together. So because I like to do a lot of research and reading, I was like, Smith, sit down. Let's talk about our family values. Here's exactly how this sounded. If you don't know my husband, he has this one typical position, especially when he's answering me and he goes, immediately goes, this will be a nightmare. And my daughter, 14 years old, goes, so can we not? So we didn't. We just didn't even talk about our family values because that went really well. I'm just kidding. There are some values that we laid out a long time ago that we probably don't even talk about in our family because they are so standard. And you're right. Like, we don't have them on a big diagram in our, in our house. There are just some things that we live by. And I'm sure that they would, if I read off some of them, they'd probably say, yeah, that's, that's right. But that's not really fair to do to you guys, too, to be like, well, they don't talk about it, but they live some about it. Like, very uneasy, not okay. But I would read off some, too, if you've ever questioned what some of your values might be or might look like. There's some spiritual and religious values that you might decide for your family. So for us, that looks like going to church, a love for God, a love for all people. Then you might, and that can, that can change into lots of things for what a spiritual or religious value might look like. There might be some character values that we can, we can determine. Integrity, honesty, grit, positivity, courage, kindness. In our family, we talk about kindness, and I can't say we're always positive people, but I can say I would say, Dred, stay away from your dad because I'm positive. He's in a bad mood. Just kidding. I'm like, listen, I do not step into a drama triangle, so I will immediately go figure that out with your dad. Go figure that out with your daughter. No, because we are, there's three of us, and it's just not going to work out well. There's also social values that you can determine for your family. Thinking of acceptance, respect, politeness, appropriate language, whatever that would look like in service to others. Civic values, understanding rights, standing up for the rights of others, work values, punctuality, education and training, doing one's best, cooperating, and then other home values, sharing meals and quality time. That's probably a big one for the Smiths, but I can't say that we would actually sit there and be like, yeah, that is the definite thing for us. Here is a big value for the Smiths that we would tell you that we lean into a lot. We have 
travel values. Because we have to have a plan. If we do not eat before going somewhere, the Smiths will fall apart. <laughs> I mean, it will, the car ride is terrible. So we actually decided we integrated this probably, I don't know, seven or eight months ago. Derek and I made a plan. The plan fell apart. Then I'm mad. Then Derek's mad. And then we're like pulling over to a gas station because I got to get a snack. And it's all bad. So we immediately decide for us, if we're going to travel, do anything, we're going to have to get a snack, eat, and then leave. Because otherwise we fall apart. We don't show up as our best selves. And that's not what we want from our family. So that's one of them. We also use what we call vacation voices. Because for whatever reason, the Smiths, show up to an airport and all of a sudden we're like, what time is the flight? And we're whispering and then the other two are like, what? What did you say? And then we're irritated because we can't hear each other and so that's why we implemented vacation voices. So if one of us is speaking softly, then the other person can easily say, hey, vacation voice, and we instantly get it. Still working on that one, but it's kind of funny when you get called out. This one is my absolute favorite. It's the $20, because who doesn't like $20? A few years ago, we're getting ready to go on vacation. I don't know who was bickering with who because there's just three of us. But I don't know, at some point in time, one of us decided to say, you got $20, you got $20. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Every time one of us is bickering with the other and the third person, the third party in the drama triangle here is all done with it, we're just going to ask, can I have your $20? Just pay up, pay up. You know what people don't want to do? They don't want to give you $20. Instantly, drop the argument. That doesn't mean we're just going to ignore it. That just meant not the time, we'd come back to it later. We've done that the last few years. It's honestly been amazing because Drez and Derek are very, very similar. And so they just can start going at each other or they're hungry, they're tired. It could be a variety of things. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, you got 20 bucks? You got 20 bucks? Then when they're done with it, Dresden and I, listen, you raise a daughter with the same type of intensity and energy that you have all the time. And then you start getting it back. Ooh, buddy, you gotta be ready to go. You gotta be ready. Because I know one thing, she rises to the level, I'm, I'm ready to get back to that level too because I'm usually at one of that. It's not because I want to fight. I'm like, are we doing this right now? Okay, let's light this candle. Step right into it. So that's how I know too that they will ask me if I'm ready for the $20. Don't be scared, guys. I promise. Like, I realize all families look different. The values can look different. But some families, they've been trying to figure out what their values could look like. Sometimes it's maybe they value money. They come from a family that didn't know or didn't have money, and so the value is so high on money that nothing else mattered. Or their social status, because they came from something that indicated that they didn't belong somewhere, or they, didn't belong, they weren't um, valued in a certain type of social status. So then they start having families, and literally social status is everything to them. And it doesn't have to look like that, too. It can look like wanting to have value over money, value over success, climbing the career ranks at whatever cost to your family. And it's, so it's even a question of, like, how do we even begin to talk about what God might want for our family values? Like, how do we even get to a place where we can decide to put God first over family or work? And so that's where I feel like for this type of conversation, it has to look at where we have to start to build a foundation, so Matthew 7:24 reads, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And I think what's 
always brilliant about going back into scripture and kind of like tearing it apart and looking down into it is that Jesus is talking about what's going to happen here. He gives us like three promises, promises serious difficulties in our lives. So that scripture is talking about building for what will come. The rocks, not, not the rocks, the storm, the winds blew. This is what is going to happen. And then next, Jesus promises total security and success to those who obey his word, which sounds kind of like, okay, Jesus, let's do this. No, that's because he wants you to be able to stand regardless of what comes, regardless of what happens in your family, how you're looking, wants you to be able to stand. And then three, Jesus promised failures to every person and family that displays his word. Okay, so I'm somebody who likes to have lots of people involved in everything, and I feel like that feels very harsh. But then when I think about it, it's because Jesus wants to keep us from heartache and failure from not building on the rock. And why would, like, why would anybody build on the sand? Well, I'm going to tell you. This is why we build on the sand. It's comfortable. I hate living in Ohio. I hate to be cold. And I'm the first one to say I want to be in Florida on this sand. I want to look at the beach, be on the water, everything. But Florida still has some rocks, too. Like, we went back in December. We were just in Florida for graduation. And we were walking the beach. And at the end of the beach, there was a whole bunch of rocks. And Derek's all, like, getting his pictures and stuff. And I'm absolutely not. I'm over here. Wear sand. Comfortable like looking out the ocean they can do whatever but that's why it's because we'll build our house on the sand because it's comfortable it's like not having to do some work for some things and then we got to the rock why why would we not want to do it on the rock well if you ever sat on a rock your body conforms to it not the sand the sand you can sit down your sand just moves out of the way comfy can be cozy not the rock rock's gonna ask you to change the rock's gonna ask you to conform it's rigid hurts a little bit and so then we can ask ourselves, like, okay, so how do, based on that, how do we build a family that lasts? I'm not going to sit here and tell you these are the exact values that you have to do in order to have a family that lasts. I think there's some steps you have to consider and choose and then do them. And so number one looks like surrendering your life and family to the lordship of Jesus and his word. I'm going to say it over and over again. I say it all the time. Smiths are not perfect. We get it wrong all the time. I talk about my parenting. I literally tell people, like, Take it from me. I do not have it right. Like, I will say follow me for more recipes, but, like, do not. It's not going to be good. I get it wrong consistently. But here's one thing, one thing where I feel like Derek and I literally got it right. We got married. We call it, like, young and stupid because we literally have been together for so long. But we got married, I think, like, 2021. Three months into our marriage, we were pregnant with Dresden. We were never planning on having kids. And so we instantly found out that we were pregnant. But there was one thing that we decided. We had pre-decided to go into our marriage that Jesus was going to be Lord of our life, and we were going to be a family that served. This is what our family was going to look like. This is the one value that I'm like, yes, we got it. We surrendered our life and our family to the Lordship of Jesus. And so that means, too, like, as our family unit, looking like we're not going to make decisions based on our opinion, but on his opinion. Going to God, praying about significant decisions, and staying in prayer over certain things. And because I like to use opposite type analogies and metaphors and examples. Here's a brilliant example of a significant decision not done together. Like, I promise I'm just not going to throw my family under the bus. I'm always happy to actually talk about this one significant decision. Just go with me here. Derek is incredibly creative. And it was probably 2011 or 2012, Derek was praying about what he was going to do. He had um, the job that he was at had shut down. And so he was searching out what was going to be the next step. And when you're married to a man like Derek, you're like, so what's your plan, bud? What are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just gonna, I just have faith. It's all going to work out. And you're like, okay, got lots of questions. Okay. But he was solid. He was like, I don't know. God's got a plan. 
And Derek was praying about some stuff, and he was like, I, Kyle, all I keep hearing is that uh, the word creative. Like, I'm supposed to do something with this. Derek was serving at C3. He was changing the letters on the sign out front and then sometimes doing a few slides, and he worked with their creative group to do some, to do some things. But that's the word that he kept hearing was the word creative. So I'm like, okay, okay. And then Derek disappears one day, and he goes to have coffee with um, this guy, Aaron. And he comes back after a few hours, and he's like, hey, babe, you know that guy Aaron DeLong? And I'm like, yeah. Aaron, Shannon, I think we did, like, game night with them. They're pretty cool. He's like, great. Aaron's planting a church. We're going with them. I'm like, heck, excuse me? You ever know one of those decisions you didn't make in prayer? Because, listen, it's one thing to leave a bad church when it's super, like, you're unhappy. There's unhealthy things happening. But when it's good... When you're leaving a church that feels good to your family because, like, your kids and kidsmen, you're serving, your husband's serving and stuff, that hits different. And so I wasn't even mad about it. I was like, okay, if God's talking to Derek about it, I'm going to be fine with that. Happy to do that. Here's what I asked of Derek. Can we go sit with Aaron and Shanda? I want to ask them some questions. And so Derek did that. He set up a dinner with, with the DeLongs. And so, like I said, we only kind of knew them. We did, like, a game night with them. And so I got to go over there and sit and be like, dude, What's your vision? Like, what do you have laid out for this church that you're going to be planting? And Aaron's like, this is, you know, this is what I want. I want to love on Reynoldsburg. This is what I'm looking for. And in my infinite wisdom, here's something I say back to him. I don't even know, dude. I've never even heard you preach. I'm really good at helping with confidence boosters. (laughs) But that was okay because as soon as they were sharing their vision for what they had for the community and what they wanted to do, instantly sold. I was like, God, Cool. That was one I was going to be totally okay with, regardless of if, if it was like, we're not going to make a significant decision because we still did it together. As soon as Derek still valued allowing me to have that conversation with them, absolutely sold. And so here's, a, here's like a funny thing for me too. Ten years later, and I still think about that too, because after that first Sunday when Aaron preached, he was like, how was it? Because, you know, really good at building confidence. And I'm like, well, it was kind of just like you were talking to us not really preaching, like just talking to us. And that still makes me laugh because like 10 years later, I feel like he still does that. Like he explains things. He has, he has uh, things he wants to share and talk about what God's doing in him through him. And I still think it's funny because I'm like, yeah, he's still talking to us. And so that was one of the biggest decisions that we ever leaned into that I was just like, hey, hey, we're going to go. This is what's happening. We're doing it with them. But that's not the only thing that we can do as a family. We're going to be together. We're praying about things, praying about things together. And guys, like, we're not just talking about things that are happening in the Bible. Like when you talk about what you're going to do next steps, and you're like, God, what am I going to do about this car and stuff? There is no scripture to go through that's exactly like when you pray about your next car, it's right here. That doesn't exist. Or about where you're going to send your kids to school. That's not exactly in the scripture. So that's when I say like we wanted to seek after God when we surrender our lives. We want to have the peace of God and the mind of God. It's leaning into what God has for us because we want to pray about those things, but it's really surrendering it to God taking it before him. And I share that because sometimes we're just like lost and wandering. We don't know what to do. We don't know what we're going to ask for or lean into or who we're even going to go to about that. And we, re- we see that in Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm not even going to lie to you. That's not really like a compliment. Like sheep, we've gone astray. Okay. And have you ever been asked about, like, what animal speaks to you or represents you? Do you actually ever say a sheep? No. Here's why. Because if somebody asks me that question, you know what I say? I want to be a bison. 
You know what bison do? When the storm starts coming, bison are like one of, they're the animal that they charge into the storm. They know that they're going to face some pain. They just go right into it. They start seeking their refuge, but they know it's going to be opposite of where cows and everybody are actually going. They're trying to get away from the storm, and you know what happens to them? They end up facing more pain. They still get hit by the storm, too. But sometimes that pain looks worse hitting the storm than it does for the bison. That's why I'm like, yes, big, strong bison. It also means I'm going to get done with the pain a little bit sooner. That's what I'm going to be. I never tell anybody I'm going to be a sheep. We talk about all different animals and stuff, too. Or, like, what's your spirit animal? Here's some context and clarity, too. That's not really Christian-like. But don't fear because they talk about animals in the Bible, and they talk about the values and the virtues that animals have and bring into the Bible. So there's like rock badgers that you can be like. There's the stags, fawns, if you know if it's in Song of Solomon. But I digress, the sheep. Because here's the thing about sheep. They're cute, but they're kind of pathetic, right? That's why nobody cheered when I said sheep. They also can't do things like bear burdens. You don't see sheep carrying packs of things. You don't see that at all. And they can't really attack. You don't ever see videos of sheep attacking each other. Lions, sure. Elephants will get into things. Animals doing different things, but you don't really see videos of sheep attacking. And you're like, okay, so why sheep? There's interesting facts about sheep, and um, these are just similar to humans also. The mamas can form deep bonds with their babies. Like, okay. Sheep can build friendships and stick up for each other in a fight. Yes, please. This is where we're a little bit similar. Sheep can grieve a loss. When they lose someone from their pack, they can, they can grieve that loss which I find interesting. And then here's where I think it like really starts to hit home is because sheep will actually settle for less. So when sheep are searching for water, if they just find like a little puddle, even if it's 20 feet away and it's gross, stinky, muddy puddle, they'll just stop and take a drink there instead of the fresh, clean water that would be like 100 yards away because they'll just settle for less. And I think sometimes we do that as well. Here's a really good interesting one is that when sheep don't feel well, they will seek out plants and other substances to self-medicate. I literally laughed out loud about that because I was like, oh, that checks out. We'll self-medicate. They're, okay, that's definitely there. And lastly, it's because they're emotionally complex. Humans are emotionally complex. And that's why I feel like that's why we see it in Scripture. We need a shepherd. And why a shepherd of all the, all the occupations from the Bible is because the shepherd was known as the people who were honest and straightforward. Their words did not mean authority, meant truth. The shepherd is committed to the flock, and they are the one responsible for guiding the sheep, protecting them, and attending to their needs. So to serve as a shepherd means to demonstrate commitment to the well-being of other people. It involves watching out for them, helping them, and teaching them. And what does that relationship look like between the sheep or the people to the shepherd? It's a closeness. It's a close relationship. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd, and they follow. And that shepherd protects his flock and would give his life for them. To me, that all checks out. Surrendering our life, having a shepherd, why we do it, it all checks out. We see it right here in two, in Psalm 23, one through six. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We get to decide. We choose to surrender to the shepherd. So that's one. And two, we can trust God as our heavenly father to meet our needs and care for us. It's a long verse. 
Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. It's interesting because like one can't serve God or mammon. Mammon's like a, it means like biblical, it's a, in, in biblical context, it's like riches and um, there's different ways to, to share that through Hebrew and Greek and everything, but really it's like the, the value of money. Some say it's like an entity. So some people say like it's either you serve God or the God of money, which still kind of checks out because this entity still tells you that when you have this wealth and the security and everything that takes care of all of your problems, that if you just have more money, it's going to take care of all of your problems. And I share this this way of, because I hear this a lot. I think, I have thought this before a lot too. If I just have more money, all of my problems are going to go away. My family stuff will all be straightened out. But here's where we can look at that scripture and identify one thing really, really fast. We can care about the money, but the money does not care about us. What I see about that with serving God is that God cares about us. He loves you and he cares for you. And that's choosing to trust this. But, but, I understand that maybe that concept of God right there is really hard to identify because maybe that doesn't really impress you if God is a father. Maybe that's because you also had a bad one too. Someone that didn't show you that they knew you, that they cared for you, that they loved you. So maybe that's how you don't think of how God knows you. You might even think like, he's probably a good God, but like he doesn't know me. Or we think of like, He knows of me, but he doesn't know me. So why would we want to take that? If anything, I would hope to share with you that God loves being your father. And when we deny him the opportunity, it breaks God's heart. Because you would never dream about how much God wants to be a part of your life. And I know there are tons of the questions we can ask of like, okay, so Kyle, I heard you say that. How how, How do I put my trust in God? What does that even mean? To trust literally means to, be, to believe in the reliability and the ability or the strength of something. So when it comes to trusting God, that means believing in his reliability, his word, his ability, and his strength. I love going through the Bible. I'm a make it make sense type of person. So I'm like, back it up. Let's go. I want to research this and everything. I love anything that goes back and forth between Old Testament, New Testament. That's what I actually loved about going to, going to school and doing um, Ministry and theology was like, yes, let's go through this. It's so great. Why? The Bible, does, the Bible says that God cannot lie. God always keeps his promises. You know what causes mistrust in most relationships when it comes down to our families and how we operate? Infidelity, lies. The biggest one that I know, it just knocks them all out of the part. The broken promises. That's what leads us to a place of not trusting. But I'm like, yeah, guys, guess what? There's hope for that because God cannot lie. God doesn't make promises, so that's how I know that I can trust. For me, that's enough said. I'm done. I don't even have to worry about anything else to, to think about or be like, does God care? No. 
God can't lie. God keeps his promises. It's fabulous about reading through the covenants. The covenants are the promises that God makes between himself and us. It is fascinating to to read through and study about each one of those covenants and how God shows up every single time and keeps his promise to us. And there's also numerous stories, too, where um, the Bible reminds us that God cares for our physical needs. Because I know that's a, that's a big thing for us, to have our, our physical needs cared for. Even in the fall, when Adam and Eve made some choice decisions in the garden, God still clothed them and provided them with food. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness and concerned about their food, God still showed up and miraculously provided them with the manna every morning. Why? God wants to meet your needs. But I think there's also some work to do that, too. God wants us to petition him with those needs, to take it to him, to pursue a deeper relationship with him. Where we learn about God, that's why I'm like, get in that Bible. It is fascinating. It's wild, y'all. It's better than anything you see on HBO or anything else. I promise you. It is fascinating to learn and fascinating to talk about and dive deep into. But there's also things that we learn about God that God might want us to do while we wait. And as our Heavenly Father, he wants to provide for us. And the greatest proof of that is the gift of his son, Jesus. And so we can say things like, we can, we can choose to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I need you for provision. Three, we can think about the general, generational effects of our behavior and start planning accordingly. Proverbs 13 to 22 reads, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. This is where we got to start thinking about our own behaviors, how we're, how we're going to respond and show up. What are the outcomes that we really want? I only have a quick thing to share about this because it hit me so hard. It was so good. I don't even know if he actually thought about it this way, but it made me a little teary-eyed, and I was like, that's why I married him. My daughter is super competitive. I don't know where she gets that from. We love game nights. We're all, we're all in it to win it. We'll flip this table like Jesus. Um, but my daughter one time, Derek, Derek does all the cooking. I'm bad cook. Derek does all of the cooking. He's a fabulous cook. We love it. But Derek serves me first in the house. So when we sit down at the table or on the couch because we're lazy bums, um, Derek serves me a plate first. And Dresden one time was like, why do you always serve mom first? And if you know Dresden, you know it sounded just like that. Very antagonistic, ready to go. And he like walks in the kitchen and walks back and he hands her a plate because he serves her second and then himself third. And he handed her that and he was like, I'm literally, I serve your mom first because I want you to see something. I want you to see how a man can love his wife and serve her. And he was like, also Dresden, I do that because I want you to know that you deserve better. So sometime when you're older, you know what something could look like. And I'm like, I'm just trying to eat this pot pie. (laughs) So beautiful. Literally, it wrecked her. She sat there. She was stunned. The child was too stunned to speak, which does not happen often. But she literally, she was like a little tear-eyed, and she was like, that's so nice. I don't even know if he saw what happened between us two when he walked back in the kitchen. But I literally thought like, man, that is a way to plan. Like, he has been really intentional about that. When they used to go to movie dates and stuff, drop $50 at the movie on their snacks and stuff, and I would question him why, and he'd be like, listen, because when she's older, I want her to know that she's worth having money spent on her, that she's worth having this. She is worth more, and she's not begging for scraps. I love that when he would talk about that when she was five or six, and the fact that he was so intentional about this. Now, he's probably like, I was just serving dinner. I don't know. But that felt incredibly intentional, the way he responded to her. Instead of just saying, well, your mom's my wife. He didn't do that. He literally said it so well. It was so beautiful. He'll probably tell me after service I got it dead wrong, but it doesn't matter. This is my story. (laughs) Because think about it. For our generational planning, what do we want our children to recover from us? 
what advantage are we going to give them? I like to tell Dresden, like, listen, you're going to take some, like, baggage from growing up in this family. We know it's going to create something for you. We'd like it. Um, I know that there's some other families here that talk about it too. Like, we want you to have a little carry-on for baggage and not, like, rolling in with three or four suitcases deep. This is our hope for you. But it's truly thinking about what do we want them to recover from? What do we, what do we want to give them? It's because we have to be intentional about what we give to our kids. Not just money, not just social status, other things within our family. Last one, this is like one of my favorites. Four, you got to keep your family in a Bible preaching and a believing church where they can be grounded spiritually and build strong relationships. Hebrews 10, 24 reads, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So really that means that we're going to get together as a church family. Interestingly, because in scripture, that's instructed and expected. And I get it. I get it here a lot of the time. Well, Kyle, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You can go to the garage, but that ain't going to make you a car either. Honestly, I heard that like a million years ago. I still find it funny because it's true. But it is something that it's shared in scripture. Like it's expected of us. But it's because it communicates a few things too. When we gather for worship, it communicates that this is an important aspect of our life. Gathering communicates the importance to an unbelieving world. And gathering allows us to be with our spiritual family. It's a call to be empowered by God and do life together. And as the body of Christ, this means that we are living proof of a loving God to those around us. That's why that's probably my favorite. I think it's a great example, too, where we can be the shiny. Like in Matthew 5, so you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all, all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Hashtag be the shiny. That's really what it comes down to. Remember how I said in the beginning that I felt like there was like one thing when Derek and I got married that we got right? We had this one value laid out where our family, number four right there, keeping our family in a church is literally where I feel like we see it play out the most and where we got it right. We decided to raise Dresden in the church. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean she's perfect. That does not mean that someday she may be like, eh, that's not for me. This is just a decision that we made because we believe in that for our family. But there's been some really beautiful things because of making that choice for our family. We decided that, and we've got to watch beautiful things for Dresden. We watched her get baptized, but not just like any type of baptism. That somebody, somebody baptized her that she truly loves. Aaron Eller baptized her, and that was one of the most beautiful moments because she loves his family so much, and little Ababur, their son, that was such a beautiful moment for me, and that's why it's worth keeping our family in the church. <laughs> Better you than me. Um, and then caring for others, to see my child step into that, finding her people, Sunday morning around or being at the church, you really don't see her. She'll be a shadow to me because she's hungry, and like mom didn't pack her any snacks, like she's 14, she can't take her herself in that, some, that sort of way. But she's not really around me. She is with her community, she is with her people, she has found relationships, and she's serving. And even here at the church, we have family values. We have things that we talk about often. If you've ever heard about this, the culture playbook. It is something that we created a few years ago, but this is how this family is asked to operate too. It has what we call beliefs, behaviors, and outcomes on it. Those are values of how we're going to inform the family. And I know it doesn't say it on here, but there's script, they're all scripturally based. So this wasn't like we just decided we're going to play well with others. Jesus called us to do certain things, and that's all founded through here. It's all Bible-based. 
and this is also like, I'm really proud of this piece of work from a few years ago. From It's one of my favorite things I've ever probably done in ministry, like a systems and process. It's so, so good to walk through. And so that's, that's where we land of asking. We can ask ourselves today, this week, like what values do we have for our families? What values do we want for our families? And then I got a question for you. What steps do you need to take to implement some of those values? Like, could you imagine what it would look like if we all surrendered our families to Jesus and trusted him with our, for our provisions and truly knew the difference that we can make together? I would love for you to spend some time in that this week. I always feel like information without application can't lead to transformation. So you can hear this good, bad, indifferent sermon and walk out the door information. But if you don't apply some of that, can't lead to any of the transformation you might be looking for in your life because this is all decision-based. You can choose to do that. That's all on you. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us a solid foundation through your word and through relationship with Jesus for us to have a healthy biblical value system in our lives that places you and then our families first. We surrender our lives to you, to trust you, and commit to building our families on values that you have laid out for us. Amen. Now, maybe you've been wondering where God the Father has been or feeling like, I just don't even know what he's called me to do. I don't even know if any of that makes sense, but you kind of know, you think it involves him and you're ready to involve him. And if you're ready to know Jesus, we just go ahead and raise your hand. And for those of you, if you're looking to have a relationship, if you would just say this prayer with me and then everybody, please, we don't pray alone. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you and tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.